No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 10. Really looking forward to this installment of the program uh, because I met our guest tonight up at Portland uh, at the International Cryptozoology Conference, and uh, he was he was the man of the hour, I guess you could say. He's the uh, the 2017 Golden Yeti award winner for Cryptozoologist of the Year, uh, in part for his amazing films, these amazing documentaries that he's been making uh, for the last few years, and he's churning out a ton of stuff, and it's tremendous. Um, I, I kind of like have checked out, I guess you could say, in a sense, from like the paranormal media, so I, I think that's probably why I was kind of out of the loop, but uh, as I saw these movies, I've seen a couple of them now, and they're absolutely fantastic, folks. They are absolutely Really, really well made and awesome. And I'm going to talk more about how great they are in a moment, but I want to introduce him uh, to the audience here. The 2017 Golden Yeti winner, Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters. Welcome to BOA Audio, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Tim. And and I I kind of have adopted the the name Golden Yeti. So you can just straight up call me. You don't even need to say Golden Yeti winner. You can just say he is the Golden Yeti. And I oh, think I like people that. will. Yeah, I think people understand immediately that I am uh, that is who I am. Yeah, that's my like, persona. Yeah, it's like the king of the ring. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. For wrestling fans, yeah. Um, well, I I I I gotta say, dude, because he's got a new. Uh, yes, he's he's right here. Uh, Seth's got a new movie coming out, uh, October twentieth. Uh, where can folks get it? Let me get the name. It's Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, right? Invasion on mm-hmm. Chestnut Ridge. Yeah, it's uh, it, it comes out October twentieth, and it'll be available on uh, Amazon and Vimeo on demand, and um, through through DVDs are available through our website. Nice, nice. And uh, Seth was kind enough to send me uh, a screener copy, and I actually literally just finished it like twenty minutes ago because thankfully I knew well I knew how long it was, so I timed it out to finish right before the interview. And I gotta tell you, man, this is an awesome movie, and I've seen. I mean, I grew up on sort of like the Unsolved Mysteries era, and I've seen just tons of these types of films. But this one was like, and the big complaint or the big thing we say on the show a lot about movies and stuff about the paranormal is it's like, ah, guys, you know, it's not made for us. It's made for, like, people who don't know anything about this stuff. But I can honestly say, as as one of us, 
I thought it was awesome. I thought this movie went like way beyond any paranormal movies do. Um, and and it, it it just really it's excellent, man. It really is, and and it covers so many different parts of uh, this Chestnut Ridge area of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I you know I misspoke in the preview of the show where I said it was about the uh, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot. Wait, there's tons more in there. It's like there's so much stuff that happened in the Chestnut Ridge area, and you just pack it all in. So it's like you can really tell watching this movie that it was made by. Uh, you know, someone who knows the paranormal for people who know the paranormal. And that's really the highest compliment I can give when it comes to these kinds of movies because so often it's like just just cookie-cutter stuff. This was like this was like gourmet cookies here, man. This was really good stuff. Awesome, yeah. It's, it's cool to hear you geek out on it like that because, like, it is, it is very much a, uh, a buffet for, <laughs> for people like us. Like, it's this endless collection or seemingly endless collection of really bizarre stories, each, each kind of getting weirder and weirder as you go on. And um, yeah, I think what's really strange though about the movie, you said there's, you know, we packed all this stuff in and the strangest thing about the Chestnut Ridge is I feel like we barely scratched the surface of the amount of bizarre tales um, we could have told with, with this movie. I mean, it really is like, it's as much as it's as is in there. I still, you know, there's there's endless amounts of tales of weird encounters with with the unknown that we could have gotten into, and and we were even. I was even cutting. I got to the point where I was cutting some stuff out of the movie because I was like, this is too weird. Like this is so weird that I think anyone <laughs> not not totally involved in in the paranormal will tune out at this point. There was there was at one time a line in the narration about uh, giant iridescent caterpillars. And I was like, okay, that's, that probably is going to need to come out. And um, it was that <laughs> type of, it's that type of a story where we were, where it, it got so bizarre. I was like, this is probably pushing it even for, even for us. So, but we, I mean, we had an absolute blast with the telling of this story. And I remember during, during the actual filming of the movie, the the most common question I was getting from my crew was, "How are you tying this all together?" Because you got to think, like we were shooting all these disparate witnesses and researchers, kind of back to back, but all their stories, um, aside from where they take place, they don't have any connection to each other. Right. Um, so so for for the crew and even for myself, um, we were honestly as lost as as anyone else would have been because there was, there was a game plan in place, but you're really like, while you're shooting all this, you're like, man, this is so bizarre. I'm not sure how well all of this is going to come together. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause I, you know, I'm, I live near the Bridgewater triangle. And so it's kind of like, that's our windows. And I didn't realize Chestnut Ridge was so rich with, uh, with stuff, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was amazing. Like I said, because I, I, you know, I, I, I confess, I judge a book by its cover, so I saw the cover of the movie, and I'm like, oh, it's about that UFO flap, that's awesome. And then I mm-hmm. sat down and watched the movie, and I was like, afterwards, I was like, whoa, just, I was like, that was, I'm blown away. There was way more, you know, there was just so much in there that, uh, you know, it spawns like Kecksburg, that wave that I was just talking about, some crazy, like, men in black stories, um, I, I probably want to explore that a little bit with you in a moment, but let's let's do let's do the bio background so I can satisfy my OCD. So, who is Seth Breedlove, 
And how did you get mixed up in all this? And, and tell us about the genesis and the evolution of Small Town Monsters. Yeah, I I started out as a um, as a a newspaper freelance reporter, um, and basically at some point during my time as a freelance reporter, I got interested in the paranormal, and decided this was a subject I kind of wanted to explore. So I had originally gotten into um, sort of like newspaper journalism. Um, archival like historical archival research Mm -hmm. and during my looking into that I decided I was going to do this book called small town monsters that would delve into like five or six uh, rural monster cases from around the country and um, I submitted a book proposal to to I think probably five or six different publishers and they all rejected it and um Naturally, we decided the, the the next course of action was to turn one of the into a documentary. Nice, and that which uh, and, and so which one was that's the Minerva one, right? What? Did I lose you? I'm sorry, I lost you there. Let's okay. See. Uh, yeah, so you turned that into a documentary. That was the Minerva one, right? Yeah, so we went to Minerva, and that's solely because it was, like, super close to where we lived, uh, where I lived at the time, and I had already done preliminary research on the case and stuff like that. So we delved into that story, and um, that was fairly successful for us in terms of, like, pushing us to continue doing more. So we did Beast of Whitehall, and then we followed that up with Boggy Creek Monster, and it's been a a chaotic rumble across the country um, since Boggy Creek Monster, but it's you know the, the the stories continue to grow, and what we're doing continues to grow. We're we're kind of adding projects um, that I'm not necessarily involved in outside of producing as well to the roster. So we're we're trying to be the paranormal uh, sort of production company. I mean that's that's my goal is to be making the absolute best um, of the best when it comes to this these type of stories and telling them in a way that I always wanted to see these stories told. So have you had a long interest in like how long have you been into this stuff i got into it with um with the john keel um book the mothman prophecies by way of the mothman prophecies movie and then finding the book so like Ah. that was that was kind of my introduction to all of this and from there i delved into um bigfoot uh reports and lake monster stories um and and I was addicted to like that show Monster Quest when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So stuff like that is like what what introduced me to this. And then when I really and this isn't like just me kissing your butt or whatever. But I told you in Portland, like when when I first started kind of researching this kind of stuff for myself, the the shows that I listened to were Beyond the Edge with Eric Altman, who who is in uh, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Yep. And uh, been all of America. Like those were two of the big shows that I listened to when I was when I was first getting into this, and that would have been like, you know, what, like probably like seven eight years ago. Um, and and so like, uh, believe it or not, like your influence on me is is there. It's it's a part of <laughs> it's a part of my outlook on on the subject and everything. And that's that is part of maybe why I approach things and, and approach the subject the way I do is, is because of, you know, listen to shows like yours when I was first getting into all of this. And probably it influenced my, my, my cynicism toward some of the community and stuff as well, because I know you share some of those same <laughs> opinions. Um, 
so yeah, there, there's no, there's no like long story here as far as like how long I've been into this. I've only been into this really for like seven or eight years, but my interest in the paranormal and the unusual probably started around like 2002, 2003. I would have been like 22 years old. Nice. Nice. There you go. So yeah, we must be about the same age then. Yeah. 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 Um, well, man, thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm humbled to hear, uh, to hear you put us over like that. I appreciate it. So see the perfect guest here for the final season. See what we've helped create folks, uh, in our own small, <laughs> measly manner. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really, I'm, 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 I'm at a loss for words, man, but I, I'm really humbled to hear, uh, hear you say that. How, um, I guess this, this sort of stuck, we're going to go right to the interview now. So, <laughs> so what stuck out to me that I thought was interesting, um, and we'll kind of break the fourth wall a little bit about the movie. And now I, I've only seen the Mothman film and um, and this one, so I haven't seen the earlier ones yet. I'll catch up. Um, but it, it, there was a lot of UFO in this movie. Is this like sort of a departure for for you guys? Um, you know, as far as storytelling goes, because the previous movies were more sort of about creatures, right? Right. Well, I think the Mothman movie got pretty. It does. Yeah. I mean, there is some into the. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's it's nothing to this extent. Um, but yeah, I guess this is. I think in a lot of ways this is a departure for us. It was like the the UFO stuff is a departure for us, and then the really bizarre kind of creature and orb and and you know uh, strange creature sightings and Thunderbirds and all that. That that definitely is is outside of what we had done before. The first three movies are very like ground level, um, almost PBS style approaches to to the subject of Bigfoot and and then you know with Mothman we started kind of pushing in a different direction and then Invasion we we tried to do something completely different from what we'd done before maybe not completely different but we wanted to step outside of the the formula um, even as far as like how we explore the small town and small town's history and the impact on the region and that kind of stuff and um, I think I think some of that was that we were really uh, pleased with how Mothman had turned out. It, it was the first time we had finished a movie and we all didn't look back and go, man, we could have done so much better. Uh, yeah. And Mothman was the first time where we felt like we had done our job with the movie. And obviously, you know, we see a lot of issues with it and things we could have fixed or done better. But at the end of the day, we felt like we had, we had achieved our goal. And I did not want to do a story that was that. Again, I didn't right. want to jump into something that was, you know, had that kind of weight and gravity that, that the Mothman story has. Um, so what we wanted to do was something that was more like a, a compilation or, or a series of vignettes um, of really cool or creepy creature and, and UFO encounter stories. So we did something very different storytelling wise from the other movies. And uh, I, I think we, I think we succeeded largely um, through luck and, um, and, and obviously just, you know, just being able to work with the team and the guys that work on the movies. Um, it's hard to fail when you've got Zach Palmasano shooting your movie and you've got Brandon Dalo scoring it and Chris Scalf doing his amazing animated sequences and Matt Harrison, Brandon Scalf doing their illustrations. And the, the team that we've compiled and put together is, is really solid. We continue trying to grow with each project. And, and, you know, we were just talking, I was just talking with Zach today about the team and like the, the desire is there to like, try to keep it small. Like, yeah. like the, the team right now that works on these movies is, is fairly small. So we, we like working in these 
kind of almost confined, uh, this fun, confined kind of group. And, um, like a band. yeah, I, yeah, it, it really is. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a departure from our other movies in a lot of ways, even tonally, like the approach we took to it is much more like a, like a, it's almost like a nod to, you mentioned unsolved mysteries and that was one well, of the I was big. Gonna, in- to, to cut you off cause you're going right to where I was about to say is, uh, it's funny mm-hmm. you mentioned monster quest cause I got a real monster quest vibe from the sh- from the movie. I didn't know, I didn't really realize it. I think till you mentioned it, but it was like, that's what that reminded me of. Like, Monster Quest back when it was, like, really good, when it first started mm-hmm. out, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, in the later years, it was kind of, like, reachy, but the, in the first season or two, it was like, holy shit, this show is amazing, where'd this come from? And that was kind of the same reaction I had when I was watching your movie, it was like, this is, like, really well done by somebody who knows what they're talking about. So, yeah, I, I sensed a Monster Quest vibe from the, from the movie. <laughs> The the, uns- the the biggest influence on me was like the VHS uh, documentaries, paranormal documentaries that I saw when I was a kid, and so so we really I watched endless amounts of um, unsolved mysteries during the the editing of this. In fact, I watched every single season of unsolved mysteries during the editing of this movie, and um, yeah, it does have a cool like eighties vibe to it too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we tried to we tried to kind of g- grab that like feel that you you got when you were younger. Um, these these documentaries, like I don't know if you remember watching Unsolved Mysteries as a kid, but like so, it wasn't just Robert Stack's voice, even though that was a huge part of it. There was just something about the general vibe of that show that creeps me out, and I wanted to grab whatever that was and try to get it into this movie. So I think I, I hope we succeeded with that at least. I don't know if you if this will resonate with you, but what always like I think what kind of hooked me in a weird sort of way with unsolved mysteries was, and I, I don't know if people remember this. I think you maybe it's like an obscure sort of memory, but like back when it first came out, um, it wasn't a TV show. It was like a special, and it would only be on like once every like three like three times a year, hmm. um, like during sweeps or something. I assume um, for like the first couple of years. So it was like an event almost, and I really yeah. wasn't—I wasn't even into the paranormal per se. But it was like you'd see the commercials, and you'd be like, "Oh, that show that shows those crazy stories is going to be back on," you know. Yeah. And then obviously it must have been so popular they made it into a TV show. But it was like that always—I th- I think just like it was like forbidden. It was like this—it was like this like rare thing that <laughs> you know. It was this when weird the, sort of thing that, and then, you know, then they made it a TV show, and it was like, holy shit! But. But originally, yeah, when, it was this weird thing to it. When it would come on at my grandma's house, because we didn't have TV at my parents' house, but when, when I was staying at my grandma's house, if Unsolved Mysteries came on, the second that theme song came on, I left the room. Yeah. Like, I was always terrified of that, that <laughs> theme song, and, and just the, uh, the entire general mood of the show used to creep me out. I think, too, because there was always, like, somebody that died or disappeared. Like, there was yeah. always one story with... With like, like it was fantastic paranormal stories mixed with mm-hmm. like horrifyingly frightening like woman who's kidnapped and kept in a cage for like ten years. And you're oh just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, like, totally. Oh, and like, like while going while going through all these seasons of it recently, I was watching one of these episodes where they really were doing a deep dive on like Roswell or something. And then all of a sudden, there's this mixed in with that. There's this story about this serial killer who is killing women along um, Highway 71, which is, like, right down the road from where I live now. So I was like, there's no way this is, like, it, it, it was It was taking place within probably 10, 
10 miles of where I live currently. And that was was super unsettling because I'd never, I'd never heard about this, but apparently there was this like serial killer who was a truck driver and was, was murdering women and leaving their bodies along the highway. That's like 10 minutes from my house. Oh my God. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what they were showing with like with like the Roswell stuff. And then it would be right. like an old lady died in Pittsburgh and had a million dollars in gold bars under her bed. No one knows how or why. And it was like what? <laughs> yeah. We should have we mixed. We should have mixed some of those types of stories into Invasion on Chestnut Ridge just to throw people off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe you should. Uh... If you ever like go into the fictional route, I'd love to do like a sort of like a fictional, like a like a parody of a of a paranormal show. <laughs> I think that would be great. And then you could do that. You could do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. Oh man! So yeah, so the movie's coming out uh, October twentieth, and people can get it pretty much all over the place, right? Yeah, and it, it'll be widely distributed later this year by um, Terror Films, so it'll be available on like iTunes and Google Play and all that stuff. But the the biggest avenues you can get it when it first comes out are Amazon and Vimeo and um, DVD through the website. And we do like we always try to put extra content on the DVDs, so there's like a behind the scenes uh, making of, which is is kind of cool because like the movie was such a um, I hate to use the word rushed, but it was really rushed. Like we shot the really? movie. In, yeah. We shot the movie in two and a half days. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was shot in two and a half days, partially because Brandon who's one of the like vital pieces of the crew. He was moving out of Los Angeles like a week after we finished filming. So we had to get it done. And um, I had just had my baby. Uh, we just had our baby boy. He was only, I think three weeks old when I had to go to PA to film this. So we were on a real time crunch with this movie so the entire thing was basically shot in two and a half days minus some of the recreation scenes like the the mystery man sequence was shot here in ohio uh actually at my sister's house and um a couple of the recreations were shot you know after the fact but um oh and then there, there was one day where we went back to shoot the uh, kecksburg festival that's in the movie at the very end right uh so, so but other than that yeah it was it was like a two and a half day shoot and uh, we, we did, I think, eight or nine interviews and all of our B-roll in that span of time. Wow. Holy shit. Must have been long days. Yeah, 14. Uh, usually we work about 14 hours. Like when we filmed Boggy Creek Monster down in southern Arkansas, the, the entire movie was shot in five days, and we were working 14 to 16 hours a day. That makes sense, yeah. I mean, you want to get as much shit as you can. You want to you get mm-hmm. as much material as you can. I mean, you interviewed a ton of people in the movie, so it's, it's yeah. pretty uh, – that's pretty remarkable to hear it was done in like two days. Now, what made you choose – It's I, let me back up because it's an interesting sort of like uh, difference. I like it though that the – it must have been a challenge to do the Mothman movie in a sense just because like it's such an iconic case and there's been – I think I've seen like two or three documentaries on Mothman at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like – I'm sure that – I mean kudos to you for having the bravery to take that on. Like what were you thinking – going into that, like how, how to take a different spin on the Mothman. Cause I guess wh- why I said back up, cause it was like, cause then you've pivoted to like a pretty obscure right. uh, area, which is Chestnut Ridge. So it's an interesting, right. like, uh, like you didn't jump from Mothman to, I don't know what the, you know, I, I can't think of an equivalent to Mothman, but yeah, like Jersey devil or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's funny the way you said that, too. You were like, what were you thinking? And and that's what, like, I, honestly, that's my my biggest 
uh, reservation with Mothman was the fact that I, I really felt like it had been done to death. And um, Brandon and I, when we were picking the movie to make After Boggy Creek Monster, that was what I kept saying to him. It's like he really wanted to do Mothman. And I just kept saying, I do not know how we're going to approach this and tell the story in a way that hasn't been done before. And, um, you know, what, what, I, I guess what happened with me is I kind of watched, I did sit down and watch a bunch of those documentaries. And it just struck me that there was no really, um, I, I want to say this without insulting some of the filmmakers, because I know some of the guys that made some of those other movies. And, right. and, uh, and, I, and I really do enjoy two of those Mothman documentaries, I think are actually really good. But, um, no, 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 I didn't I say never, they were bad. I just said, right, right, right. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I think I've had people who made a Mothman dog. I, I just mean, it's like, I mean, yeah. I haven't had that many guests, but <laughs> you're the, you're the right. second Mothman documentarian I've had. So that's how, you know, how prolific it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And, and I think my decision was just, let's, let's try to tell it in like a really, uh, chronological, straightforward fashion where we can lay out for people that might not know much about the Mothman story, how all this took place simultaneously, um, or not simultaneously, but over the course of this like one 13-month span and leave out all the kind of like theories about what Mothman might be mm, and yeah. and how all these things might be tied together by this conspiracy or that conspiracy and just simply put out there what we know as far as eyewitness reports and let the audience make up their mind. And then obviously the, the bridge was the main factor for me in wanting to make the movie. I had yet to see a movie about the Mothman where they hadn't tried to make the bridge collapse seem like a, just another part of the Mothman story or like it had, you know, some, some major impact um, or not major impact, but like, like somehow it was caused by the Mothman. Or right. Something right. Like that. That, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so my interest was much more like, let's show how, how much the town was impacted by the bridge collapse and, and people can make up their own minds regarding all of this, how the Mothman is connected to the bridge collapse. If it's connected I personally don't think it is, but like, let's just put everything out there on the table and let people make up their own minds about the whole thing. So, and, and I really am, that's why I'm so proud of the way that movie came out. I just, I really think the, the chronological approach to it worked um, so well. And it's, it's really, I think, surprising for people who don't know a lot about the Mothman to sit down and watch that movie because you start to see that, oh man, it was like, this event happened and, and then it led to this and then this led to this and this led to this until, until it all is accelerating towards something. And then the bridge collapse happens and then you realize, okay, it, you know, maybe everything was moving toward this one moment. Now, whether those, those events are connected, you know, the bridge collapse, I have no idea, but, but, but the whole thing is all about momentum in that movie. That movie is, is all about kind of a forward you know, motion towards that moment, that defining moment when the Silver Bridge collapsed and 46 people lost their lives and the town was pretty much changed forever by it. So um, the the fear was there right up until the last day of editing. I mean, I mean as far as like, is this different enough from the other movies out there? And, and we were really, I was really concerned about that all the way through post-production is this different from the other movies that are out there is it is it you know is this worthwhile and um i think we've come to find that people really do respond to it whether they've seen the other documentaries whether they're they're diehard mothman uh historians or or whether they're a complete novice and know nothing about that story it seems like people are really responding 
um, to that movie. So for, for for us, that's really cool. Yeah, well, I can say, uh, like I said, it was very different from from a lot of the other movies I've seen because you mixed in a lot of stuff, a lot like kind of like the Chestnut Ridge uh, film. You do mix in outside stuff that. Like, uh, Injured Cold is in the movie, and it's, uh, I was, you know, I remember sitting there in Portland watching the movie, and I was like, 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 you know, almost, I wouldn't say like a gasp, but like taken aback in a way where I was like, oh, wow, this is a different direction that this movie's going now. Um, you know, for a Mothman movie, like, I don't think I've ever seen Injured Cold weaved into the story before, and it's like, I'm only vaguely, and I was only really vaguely familiar with it, so, you know, I ended up looking more into the Injured Cold story, but it was like, uh, it, it it gave the movie a whole different like flavor to it, and I I hadn't really realized what you had done in the movie until you mentioned it. But yeah, there's no sort of like, oh, is it this? Could it have been that? Um, they think it might have been this or whatever. There really was like no um, hand holding in the movie, mm-hmm. and I like that yeah. a lot because normally, you know, it, that's exactly because when you've been in this field for so long and looked at this stuff for so long, it's like that's the like I said before, it's like, oh, they don't make shows for, for people like us, folks. Like, the, this, this show, this movie is is geared for folks like us who we already are. A lot of that superfluous junk isn't in the movie, you know. We already know the theories. We already have heard the stuff. And so Seth has the room to put in more awesome interviews and more interesting angles to the story. So kudos, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, and I honestly, I, I don't know that – I don't know that that stops it simply like people that are super into the paranormal or Bigfoot or whatever. I, I think most people, I think a general audience doesn't necessarily want to be told what crazy theory to, to, you know, lean toward. I, I always think of my wife's grandpa when I'm making these movies weirdly enough, because he like has a passing interest in these subjects. But if you put on like one of these crazy documentaries on TV, he usually just shrugs it off or laughs it off, you know? Yeah. But if, if if he sits he'll sit down and like watch like Survivor Man Bigfoot or something like that. And I remember noticing his his everything about his response to that versus his response to like mountain monsters or, or finding Bigfoot. It was just eye opening for me that here's this guy who's an older man who's got a passing interest in these subjects, but you wouldn't know it unless you, you know, unless you had a conversation with him. But when I make these movies, I really try to focus on people like him as much as people like you and me, because, you know, like he, he's interested, but he doesn't want to be talked down to or, or, you know, and he's not, he, he does not want to buy into you know, whatever crazy uh, theory you want to throw at him, you know, let him, let him reach his, his conclusions on his own. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause nobody, exactly. Nobody wants, cause half the time, if you, if, if, if you're being told like 10 theories on what it means, that's like nine of them aren't even, you know, if one of them's right, the other nine are wrong. So like, who cares? You know, it's, it's sort right. of like a waste of time, you know, right. it's like, yeah. you want to just make up your own mind. Unless somebody, and I, you know, unless you do a whole movie on just the one theory, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know, only yeah, the, and, and we, we, like, delved into briefly, I think, in the movie, like, some of the, you know, I think we mentioned, like, that, that people thought it might have been a Santo Crane, and we yeah, mentioned yeah, that, yeah. we mentioned that the pollution aspect, you know, the fact that some people thought it might have been some sort of, like, mutated bird or something like that. But, right, right. You know, I mean, I mean, it's pretty obvious that, that, you know, like, Lawrence Gray thinks it was the devil, and this guy thinks it was some sort of alien, and this guy thinks it's an angel. You know, like, 
And, and at the end of the day, it's all going to be up to the audience to make up their mind one way or the other anyway. So yeah, don't yeah. talk down to people is our, I think one of our number one goals is to try to try to make an intelligently, um, you know, intelligent approach to these, these stories. Yeah. Well, it's like, there's a sense of wonder, but there's not sort of like a sensational, sensationalism of the wonderment, if that makes any sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, isn't this interesting stuff? And it's not like, hey, come inside, and you know. So yeah, there's a good, there's a good vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, how did you pivot to Chestnut Ridge? Then were you like, all right, I, I'm not, I'm not doing Jersey Devil guys. I'm not doing the Patterson Gimlin film or whatever. Uh, you know what? What? Uh, what? What made you jump to the uh, the Chestnut Ridge? So it was originally going to be a short film, which I say very often. By the way, if you've heard any any me talk about any of these movies, I very often say that what I'm working on now is going to be a short film, and typically they do not turn out to be a short film, which was the case with Minerva Monster or with with Invasion of the Chestnut Ridge and Minerva Monster actually, but um. Invasion was originally going to be this little like 35 minute movie, um, mostly focused on Kecksburg and the the Fayette County UFO Bigfoot slap. Yeah. Um, and then you know it was it, during the actual lead up to the movie when I started scheduling interviews, I, I remember Stan being like, "Do you want you know here's a list of people we could talk to. Do you who do you want me to really go out and see if they want to talk to you?" And I remember seeing Aaron Shakti's name on the list, and Aaron was the Thunderbird witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, man, I would love to talk to a guy about Thunderbirds. So, so I mean, that's pretty it, – it honestly just kind of turned into the fact that, that these were stories that I was fascinated with on a personal level. So, so let's try to squeeze it all in. So as far as, like, how this became the movie after Mothman, this was originally – Um, this was always part of our 2017 plan. And I never thought of Mothman as like the next hot thing. Like this is going to be the movie that really changes our lives. Um, So let's, let's, what are we going to do in response to that? It was never like that. It it was like, what are we going to do, you know, when we're done with this story? And then of course Mothman came out and it did change our lives because it it hit big and, and hit way bigger than we were expecting it to. And, um, it kind of did change the game. So it's, it's funny now. Cause like my, my idea with invasion was like, let's do something totally different, like totally different from Mothman, something that's fun and scary and creepy and a collection of stories. Um, and so that's how we, we got to that place. Now, I, the other reason is that I really like Stan Gordon and I like listening to interviews with Stan and, and hearing him tell these incredibly bizarre stories and so so part of it was also just my own interest in making something where Stan would be a part of it and be able to kind of on camera tell about his decades long look into the subject I mean Stan we shot Stan's interview is three hours long oh, wow. um, and, and he's in the movie you know probably on camera for like 15 minutes maybe I don't know how long his total camera time is but like we have we we literally have like hours of, of Stan telling crazy stories. So when I get to the case files episodes for those invasion on Chestnut Ridge episodes that that we'll have for Stan, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun because there's a lot of really weird stuff we didn't get to. 
Yeah, he's an unsung hero. We had him on the show before. Uh, if I can find the space, I should get him back on for season 10 because he, uh, yeah, he has some crazy stories, and he's been doing it. In a way, it's funny, like uh, you were saying about what's the threat of the movie. And, and you know, I was thinking it's like at the beginning in the Kecksburg thing, he thinks he, I think he says he was like 16 years old and he was mixed up in that. And it's like he's mm-hmm. kind of the threat of the movie in a way because he was involved in a lot of these cases mentioned. He's in the, the yeah, he's the he's the main if if we have a quote unquote main character, it's definitely Stan. I mean the movie begins and ends with him and he's been researching since nineteen fifty nine. I think the other like thread of the movie is that the the fact that these are all researchers. There's only a, a, one guy in the movie, John, that isn't a researcher. Um John was like the Ketsburg witness. Everyone else in the movie is like actively out there trying to figure out, you know, what's going on on the ridge. So I think that's kind of interesting, especially compared to our other movies, because our our other movies are almost entirely comprised of, like, witnesses and then locals, whereas Invasion is almost entirely people who investigate the unknown, who've had strange experiences. And and in some cases, like in Barry Clark's, uh, in, in the case of Barry Clark, it had a, you know, a terrible impact on his life. Yeah, talk a little bit about that, because that was one character or individual who stood out in the movie to me, because he, um, he had a, a, I think it was a UFO encounter from, I can recall, and a, a vivid yeah. UFO encounter, and he was like, I'm out, I'm out, mm-hmm. I'm not doing this anymore, I don't want anything to do with this paranormal stuff, and it's like, A, you rarely hear of any of these researchers that's different in a sense from the movie too, because like, like you know, Stan Friedman doesn't have like a vivid UFO sighting. Like most of the people I know have never really had something completely life-altering or even that like remarkable as far as paranormal goes. So it's cool that a lot of these guys have, but with him it was too much. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, I and I've never, I think I've only heard of that happening a couple of times. And i and, and you know something mm-hmm. I may, and one of them may have been him, like, <laughs> and I may not have made the connection uh, of the name, but. But it was very like, be careful what you wish for kind of like thing to it. So, so yeah. talk about this guy and his sort of journey in a sense. Yeah, Barry is is like my favorite character, quote unquote character in the movie, and he's someone that I got to know a little bit off camera um, and talk to, and and the the actual impact of what has happened to him isn't as apparent on camera in this movie as it was in real life, which obviously is going to happen. But, but this, so Barry, basically Barry was one of Stan's right hand, right hand guys. Like he was always helping Stan on investigations. He was a a vital part of the the research group. Um, He investigated a lot of cases, particularly at one location known as the Bell Farm. It's not actually called the Bell Farm. That's like a, a pseudonym they gave to the location. But the, the Bell Farm was this location on the ridge um, where lots of unusual activity was taking place, not just UFOs, but Bigfoot encounters and uh, black black cat sightings and all kind of weird stuff. And um, Barry had had a strange incident occur there where, where something had screamed at him, like a Bigfoot type creature had screamed at him or he thought it was a Bigfoot type creature. And um, a few weeks after that, he received a, a phone call from, from the Bell Farm people saying that they were seeing this strange light show up in the sky like a star. 
um, a really bright star every night, right around, I think he says like right around 10 PM or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so he goes out to the bell farm um, to, to investigate it one night and they're watching the sky right around 10 PM. And this sure enough, this light shows up in the sky right at the you know 10 o'clock and um, they're watching the star and it, it's, it seems like it's getting brighter and then it turns blood red. And when it turns blood red, um, all these little lights in the sky appear and start moving toward the the blood now blood red light in the sky and and the way he puts it is uh, like bees going to a beehive. Yeah, and the animation um, was awesome there. I hats cool. off to your animation guy because uh, it's mm-hmm. yeah I, I read so many UFO books and it's obvious. I mean it's obvious it's an obvious point, but it, it, it's you know it bears mentioning. It's like but when you see it, when you hear the witness describing it and you see it unfold on the screen it's way more powerful than reading it in the book it's like right you know and the animation yeah he like 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 bees to the hive and and that's mm-hmm. what these little lights are it's amazing yeah and and as they they're watching all these lights go into the the big light and then the big light um turns silver again and then starts getting brighter and they realize the the light was actually coming down like it was descending toward them and um i know at the time they were outside and there was it was barry and and the this this guy and his wife and the wife ran and jumped in the car she was terrified and barry and uh the other guy continued watching it and it continued coming lower and they eventually got freaked out jumped in the car and they drove off um after that, Barry started suffering some bizarre um, side effects. Uh, basically, what he thinks may have happened is that he might have suffered some sort of alien abduction scenario. He he was driving late one night and had an incident of missing time, um, and that was followed up by some really strange occurrences around his house. Um, the unfortunate side of it, and really what drove him to kind of leave paranormal research in general was that it started seeming to rub off on his grandson who was only about eight years old at the time. And, uh, his grandson would tell, tell them about these men who would come through a hole in his ceiling. And, and, um, there's some really disturbing aspects to this case that Barry left out of his on camera interview. He actually made us turn the camera off and confided some things to us that, left us really disturbed um and and Jesus. unfortunately yeah it's it's not going to be in the movie um and will be not, an extra um, I don't know about that. No. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, like, I, I really wish, um, in a way, it would have been in the movie, because I think it would have been extremely um, apparent to people why this guy got out of, of research, maybe more so than it is, you know, within the film now. But unfortunately, he had to shut the cameras off and didn't want it on camera. So he had, he had some really disturbing things happen to him. And he actually, the strange thing is, like, Barry had files, I guess he was very studious in like keeping files um, of all the, the cases he'd investigated, you know, with sketches and, and plaster casts and all that kind of stuff. He got rid of all of it. Uh, in fact, some of it he burned. Oh, Jesus, um, no. From what he told. Yeah, so like like when he got out, he got out. Like he didn't Jeez. want anything to do with it. And, and you know, as the movie goes on, it kind of becomes apparent um, he's – He's vaguely considering getting back into it. It's almost like, and, and, and we pointed toward that through the narration in the movie, how like these investigators that, that are on the ridge, it's almost like they're driven, yeah. you know, to continue going out 
doing what they're doing. Cause even Barry is like, he's starting to feel that pull of like wanting to go out. And he, and he talked, uh, he talked to us about that, how, and I can't remember right now if it's in the movie, but he talked about, you know, like he wonders if he went back out and investigated if bad things would start to happen again. And so that's what keeps him from doing it. But he's getting to the point where he's, he's considering going back out again. Um, yeah. And he's, you know, he's a lot older than he was in the seventies, but that, that curiosity that, you know, the way Mark Maskey wrote the narration is that, that human curiosity keeps getting the better of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's in the movie, so it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, clearly he's like not completely divorced from the subject in a sense. You know what I mean? Cause there are some, yeah. I mean, I know there are some people that like, are like, I'm out. And then if you try and contact them, they're like, contact me again. I'm calling the cops. It's like, right. what? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was really interesting. And uh I mentioned the injured cold thing earlier. I I, I it's just like a conscious decision on your part, I guess in a sense, and cuz I I'm a, I don't want to like make you give away too much of the movie. So it's uh but it's like you had the injured cold um incident, let's say, in the Mothman movie, and then you mm-hmm. also have like these uh these really crazy men in black type stories in in the Chestnut Ridge movie, which I loved. Like, those were awesome. So I, it must, like, click with me, too. But is, is there something about, like, sort of this mysterious human element, you know, quote-unquote, like, uh, that sort of recurs in these movies, at least these last two film, films? I, I think it's a, a just an aspect of, like, the, the idea of high strangeness in general that that those seem to be a part of the stories. Because, like, with Mothman, you cannot get away from, like, the Men in Black connection. Right. Um, especially if you're into Keel stuff. And then with with Stan's work, um, the more I read Silent Invasion and the, and the further I got into Silent Invasion, the more stories he starts, you know, popping in there about these mysterious figures. And, and there, there do seem to be – there does seem to be a difference between – you know, Stan's Men in Black and John Keel's Men in Black, it seems like Stan's Men in Black are more like shadowy government agents, whereas John Keel gets into the really bizarre, you know, like Nick Redfern-style Men yeah, in Black, yeah, yeah. where they almost seem like, you know, aliens or something like that. But this is... The the Men in Black in in the uh, invasion really seem, you know, like shadowy government agents. It's just why they're there, what their purpose is. You know, it, it, all, the, all the mysteries of connected with like the men in black subject in general that I love so much are here. And maybe it's, maybe it's because I'm in personally into that idea, the men in black idea and the men in black subject that I included that as heavily as we did in the movie, because, you know, there were, there were things that we, we actually had to leave out of invasion on chestnut Ridge, you know, like, like bizarre um, people saw um, have, have been seeing like Russian military, on the Chestnut Ridge for decades, like R- Russian what? military doing training exercises and stuff. Yeah. Weird. And, um, and that was left out of the movie and there's all kinds of stuff left out of the movie, but then there's hev- heavily, you know, the men in black element. But I think that, I think the reason it's so, it's so prevalent in our film is because it ties into that, um, the, the 1973, 74 flap of UFO Bigfoot sightings, yeah. you know, the, the MIB starts showing up right around that same time. And they seem to be intrinsically tied to those stories, especially superior, you know, the superior sightings that took place. And we left out, you know, MIB stories that are fantastic. There was, there's a couple of them that I, that I really enjoyed that, that didn't make it into the film, but like, um, 
Yeah, I think that might be more in my interest in in, in Men in Black uh, than necessarily a story component that had to be in place there. It might have just been me wanting to explore that for myself. Well, it takes it to a different level, which I really like a lot. Like I said, it, it, with both the injured cold uh, and, and the Men in Black aspect uh, with the Mothman movie and, and this movie, like I said, it kind of... I felt like it, it, it added an element to the movie that you don't see very often, and, and as someone who is really intrigued by that kind of stuff, I was like, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Now, like I said, I, I don't want like people got to see this movie, folks. It comes out October twentieth. Uh, this Men in Black. Uh, I, uh, I'll, I'll do a thumbnail quick version because uh, just to make my point, this dude shows up. He whips out a badge. He seems he says he's with the government. He takes pictures of this big footprint. This kid, little kid next to him takes a picture on a Polaroid, and the guy, like, snatches it. And um, then he goes over to the Bigfoot print and, sl- and, like, wipes it out with his foot. I, and I can't believe these guys didn't kick his ass right there, but I guess they thought he was with the government. And, and they get all pissed off, and he runs to his car and takes off. And it's like, when you really look at that story, it's like you only have two options. Like, the government had someone, some group, like an X-Files type group out there trying to look at this stuff, or the guy was just a crazy nutcase, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. <laughs> you, can, you know, uh, th- you can't really go anywhere with the guy was a crazy nutcase idea, so we'll leave, it, we'll leave it at that. But the other aspect is like, wow, that's really interesting. Maybe there were people out there, you know, like the X-Files. Maybe there really was like a real-life X-Files, you know, they closed down Blue Book and Condon Report closed it down and all that, and then they were like, well, what do we do with all this weird stuff that people are reporting? Right. I mean, it, it does. It opens up, like, this whole uh, pathway, this rabbit trail of, like, ideas or, or mm. theories you can come up with on this story because, like, Stan and um, – oh, shoot, Jack. Stan and Jack. Jack was the guy who actually lived in Superior Mobile Home Park. Um, and Stan, they both say that the guy's car had government plates on it. Yeah. Um, and, and not Pennsylvania. He had Ohio government plates on his car, which is unusual, too, because he's in PA, and you're not necessarily that close to the border there. You know, you're, you're still like an hour away from Ohio. Yeah, he'd have to be um, dispatched out there from where somebody right. just sent him. Right, and it's it's just really unusual. And then when you get into, like, like the, the guy that um, – the guy that told Stan uh, told that lady um, or told Stan that he worked for the the uh, U.S. Department of what was it the U.S. Department of Fish and Mammals lab. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like so, some of this stuff is so weird, but it does seem that there there genuinely was government interest in this because even Stan was receiving questions from a congressman and met with met with assistance to this congressman which we briefly mentioned in the movie i mean there there really was some sort of government interest in what was going on along the ridge during the especially during the 70s i don't know how far you can track those mib stories after that you know like if it was an ongoing thing i don't think it was not to that extent anyway but definitely during the the 70s that was still going on and then you know while we were making the film, we found out all that stuff about the the theory is that there's this like Russian military involvement taking place along the ridge. Now that I wasn't aware of, I knew that people had seen um, possible like government activity along the ridge. There's been they've seen like Black Hawk type helicopters. What is the? Uh, I'm, I'm just confused. Like, what is the theory though? Like that the Russians okay, have so, a secret base and the thing, and the government doesn't know about it. 
that's that's kind of what the theory seems to be is that there's this like secret Russian um, facility or something built into the ridge, and there's these there's these you know they're up there on the ridge performing training exercises. Um, there is going to be. I keep mentioning case files and that's just cause I'm working on it right now. So it's like fresh in my mind, but there's going to be an episode of, of case files that'll hopefully delve into some of that. Cause we talked to Dwayne Pintoff a lot about that aspect of the story. Well, you've mentioned it a couple of times, so we should probably, you know, like I said, to satisfy my OCD. So what is case files? So people know what that is. Cause we've been plugging the movies, but uh, they, they're like, what is case files? So what is it? Case Files is like the the place where we'll be. Um, it's it's on. It's going to be on our YouTube channel and then Amazon Prime. So it should be entirely free. Um, it's little like seven to eight minute long, possibly even longer. Um, mini small town monsters movies, usually comprised of like cut interviews or things that didn't make it into the final film. You know, we we conduct these long interviews and then the final movies like an hour long. So stuff gets left on the, on the floor and, and a lot of it is great. Um, so what, what we're doing is, is actually editing these into like little mini short films that'll delve deeper into some of the stories that are briefly touched on in our films. And you mentioned injured cold. The first episode is a, uh, two parter all about injured cold. And we actually went and conducted an interview with Woody Derenberger's daughter. So we have all this, kind of like side info on Indrid and, and kind of the effect of Indrid cold on the lives of the Derenberger family. And um, we, sh- we shot an interview with a Kecksburg witness that didn't make it into Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. So there's all kind of basically like side trails, rabbit trails from the regular Small Town Monsters series that you'll be able to see weekly between November and February or March of nice. 2018. And those will be on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube and our Amazon. There's, there's going to be like you'll actually be able to see it in a seasonal format on Amazon Prime as well. Nice, nice. Now, uh, let me see what. So, what else do you? You probably don't. Well, talk about the couple of movies that you have cooking that you're helping out with or, or pro- helping to produce. I know one's the Champ movie, right? Yeah, I'm producing on the trail of Champ, which is. A, um, it's like this a new idea I had because I wasn't busy enough. So I came up with this <laughs> idea of doing um, these mini series through Small Town Monsters called On the Trail of that would be a mini series format and a deeper look into some of these stories that we love. Um, the Champ story is really fascinating because it's got decades long, you know, history and it's got so many witnesses. And then also, like, something we always get asked is, like, why don't you guys include actual search footage, you know, for the monsters and stuff? So I wanted to find a way <laughs> Who's to kind of include <laughs> – yeah, people, people do that always. So it's, like – it's That's where the real, like, Monster Quest uh, influence is going to come out, I think, yeah. is, like, on the trailer. Yeah, I was just thinking of that one. Yeah, I was like, that sounds like even more like Monster Quest, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be, like – a probably a six episode miniseries. It's being directed by Alexander Petikov who shot it over the summer and then I'm producing it. Um, but it'll be very much a small town monsters project. We're still having like all the, all the guys that kind of contribute art to small town monsters are, are going to be a part of that, including Chris Scalf who does those animated sequences. So you'll get to see Chris animating a champ, which I'm pretty excited about. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, so that comes out probably next June, and we're going to premiere a few of those episodes at our Minerva Monster Day event that we do each year in Ohio. Um, and then I am executive producing a uh, documentary called Cryptozoologist that has uh, Lauren Coleman and Lyle Blackburn, Linda Godfrey, Adam Davies, a whole bunch of people, and it, it looks incredible. Um, but they just recently kind of got me on board uh, that as well, and that'll be made in association with Small Town Monsters. So, and their Kickstarter for that just launched too. I should probably mention. It's called Cryptozoologist. Is it like sort of yeah. like a profile on these people? It is the definitive documentary about the study of uh, cryptozoology. That so sounds awesome. I, yeah, if you if you you got to check out the trailer because the trailer for it is gorgeous. And who's doing that? And then, uh, that is being made by a guy – it's produced by a guy named Matt Ralston and directed by a guy named Brad Abrahams. I don't know if you've seen – they did a, a short film called Swan Song for the Skunk Ape that was – it came out maybe like two years ago, and it's amazing. And then they just finished a documentary called Love and Saucers or Love and Flying Saucers. I can't remember. Um, that just premiered at Fantastic Fest which just getting into Fantastic Fest is a pretty big deal. So, um, But it looks kind of comical. It looks very funny. It's beautifully shot. And uh, everything those guys do is gold that I've seen so far. Nice. Well, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, because um, yeah, I love all these people. They're all great people. Um, I, don't know, yeah, I don't know how it got, because I, I can only imagine you're kind of the same way, because you said uh, how much you want to sort of feature Stan and stuff. It's like Lauren Coleman is just... <laughs> No, being mm-hmm. able to like know Lauren and stuff is the coolest part of the cool one of the coolest things that ever happened to me getting involved in this field. <laughs> like, right, I I just said almost yeah. that exact same thing to my to my wife tonight because like it's it is my goal to make you know some sort of some sort of like profile piece um, on Lauren at some point. I don't know when I'm going to find the time, but I would love to do some sort of like documentary about his life. Yeah, he's just an amazing amazing guy and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel lucky to like know him, and and it's just weird to have grown up and like read all these books and stuff, and and uh, yeah, it's just crazy. He's he's the man. Yeah. Yep. Um, what the hell was I going to ask you? I lost my train of thought. Well, we're at the we're at the top of the hour. We still got another hour to go. Let me ask you one of these questions that somebody sent in. Somebody sent in some weird ass question uh, that that I was like, "Are you serious? Is this for real?" Um, but I'll ask it, and that way I can wait for the, my train of thought to pull back into the station. So let's see what this this guy, this guy asked. Michael Reynolds, he wanted to know, uh, can you ask him about his donkey? And also, please ask him about Area X. Uh, his donkey? He said, and I said, I said, are these real things? If I can remember, I'll ask, son. He says, ha-ha, he used to have a donkey. Haven't heard him mention it in a while. He's mistaking me. He's mistaking me for Sam Rich. Um, my, <laughs> my buddy Sam Rich has a donkey. I do not have a donkey. But as far as Area X is concerned, um, Area X is – so I'm a member of a, of a Bigfoot group, like a Bigfoot research group mm-hmm. um, ca- called the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. Kathy Strain is a member – Kathy and Bob Strain are members. And, and some really, like, solid, uh, well, well-adjusted, non-crazy people – um, and they spend a large chunk of the year in this place in the Watchtaw Mountains in Oklahoma called Area X. That's what they call it. 
Um, and they go in in shifts and they spend a lot of time trying to interact or, you know, basically prove. Did I lose you? Oh, I lost you for a minute there. Okay. That was weird. Uh, Basically, yeah, you said basically prove and then you cut out. Uh-oh, weird. <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah, it's it's just this place where they go to try and uh, essentially prove the existence. Right. I don't I don't have anything. I have nothing right now on on, on Apex or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Area. I'm sorry that guy confused you for someone else. This is why I don't. I try, <laughs> this is why I try not to take questions from the audience because they're always like, "Ask about this," and I'm like, "They don't know. <laughs> they don't know no, anything no. about that." It's cool. At least I knew exactly what he was talking about. That's true. That's true. So yeah, we'll we'll try and get an update on the donkey for you some some other time, folks. Oh my God. Tonight we will recreate D.B. Cooper's last flight and examine two other cases. In one, an eight million dollar collection of sports memorabilia has disappeared. Among the treasures was Babe Ruth's uniform. In the other. Two teenage boys lay motionless in the path of an onrushing train. Their parents believe they were murdered. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Join me. You may be able to help solve a mystery. took off so like what do you what, I, I can imagine you're kind of like under pressure to come up with something crazy next or, or like or at least it must be an internal pressure I know I'd feel the same way where it's like shit this make, this Mothman movie was huge now what, now what am I going to do you know it's mm-hmm. like so I, I don't want to know what you're going to do specifically but it's like how do you sort of deal with that that uh, that pressure and, and, and you know what, what's in your mind right now as you're looking at possible next uh, you know projects that you're going to help but our biggest thing is always like what stories are still we're still able to tell because there's a ton of stories like I'd love to tell like the the Kentucky Goblins and you know like even Flatwoods was in that realm for a while it was yeah. one we constantly got asked about you know when are you going to make a Flatwoods movie and I kept saying we're not going to because there's there's hardly any witnesses left but we are making a Flatwoods movie and I'm actually filming the final. Uh, a couple of interviews this Saturday, and wow. we did manage. Yeah, we did manage to get some some witness interviews. So, the did you go to the Flatwoods Festival? I did not. No, okay, yeah. I don't think that happens anymore. They they do a um, they they've kind of turned the Flatwoods Monster Festival into like this gaming and science fiction convention. Strangely enough, Ew. it's called it's called Bonus Round. Um, but un- unfortunately, next year it's scheduled for the exact same weekend as the Mothman Festival, so I'll have to miss that. But, um, yeah, there, it's it's mostly, like, trying to figure out what stories we're able to tell um, in our way. Because, I mean, obviously we could narrate our way through almost any story or get, you know, Lauren or whoever, like, experts to tell the story. But I'm, I'm more interested still in kind of getting original witnesses involved. So, um, you know, it, when it came to, like, choosing the movie we wanted to do after – Mothman, um, it, it, it was Flatwoods pretty easily because it's the story. It's a story I love, and it's a story that 
you know, we we all kind of had an interest in telling. And once I found out I was able to get an original witness or two involved, um, it kind of became clear that that would be the the final film of the Appalachian Monster Trilogy, which is Mothman, Invasion, and Flatwoods. And then oh, that, nice. Yeah. And then that'll segue into the uh, the Bray Road movie that we're oh, making nice. uh, next April for release next October, and that'll lead into the Midwest Monsters of the Midwest trilogy. Um, so we're kind of it's. You've I got a roadmap felt, here. You've got a roadmap. We're we're like planned out through 2020 as wow. far as like what yeah what we're planning on doing. So and I never felt like any intense pressure as far as like what story to tell, but you, you obviously feel pressure to, um, you know, to continue growing in what you're doing because like we're all, uh, almost everyone on the crew and and including myself are either self-taught or we're so bathed in like neuroses that, (laughs) that we're like just a, a jumble of anxiety when we're all together. So like we're all, convinced all the time that everything we're doing is terrible so we're always we're always trying to get better and improve and uh so for me it's this pressure from project to project to make sure that we're not stagnating or like you know we're doing the same thing over and over i'm always trying to make sure that we're we're getting better with each movie um so hopefully that's the case i felt like invasion um was a step up in terms of like uh storytelling um, even though I don't quite, you know, I, I respond to the Mothman story, I think a little better than I do the invasion story, but, um, I, I hope each movie, when you sit down and you watch them all back to back, that you can be like, oh yeah, you can, you can see the growth from project to project. And I have no intention of getting lazy and, and not trying to learn, you know, new things as we're going along. And, and obviously the biggest thing at the end of the day for us is, is that the stories themselves are, are told in the best possible way and that we're preserving the witnesses, you know, uh, details and, and the characteristics that they described and, and kind of like putting the audience in the place of those witnesses is, is a big part of what we're doing and, yeah. and showing that, that these people aren't all crazy and that what they experienced is what they said they experienced. And, and that's a, that's a big part of what we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said about sort of reading something in a book and then seeing it in a movie, it's like it's easier to dismiss somebody sort of when you're reading their story. But when you're seeing them on the screen and they're telling it, it's like, I don't know, there's a personal element where I watch it. And in my mind, I'm just thinking to myself, like, this lady did not make this story up. Like, (laughs) like she didn't like I'm thinking about one. I think the Mothman witness uh, in the Mothman movie. And it's like, there's no, you know. Why would she make that up? Is that a is that a is that a bipedal canine cryptid? Yeah, that's uh that's Bubby the monster. Nice. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so like seeing the witnesses uh firsthand in the movie is is, is big cuz you you have to give them the benefit of the doubt cuz like I said why would they make this stuff up? You you really get the impression when you see them, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's that's that's my that's the kind of a, approach I have to this Flatwoods movie because this, the Flatwoods story is so freaking weird, and it's it's it, it really turned those people into a laughing stock, like the witnesses into a laughing stock for a long time. Right. And um, I cannot fathom that they made that story up. You know, like, and you can you can get into like, okay, maybe they misidentified an owl or some sort of 
you know, creature standing there or something. But like, as far as like making up the story, um, a lot of these witnesses have absolutely nothing to gain, you know, other than, other than decades of scorn and ridicule from, from the community where these things take place. And I do get that there are people who, who thrive off of attention and, and I would never, you know, I have all the skeptical kind of spot them though. You can kind of like, yeah, sure. Yeah. If you've, seen enough of yeah. this stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and I do I things like the Flatwood story, man. I I love that Flatwood story is, is something I've loved for a long time and just getting to play a part in telling that story for myself is is kind of like right up there with Mothman for me because yeah. that was like Mothman was one of the big stories and Flatwood. I just never thought we would actually have the opportunity to to do a Flatwoods movie and now we're we're actually the the witness we're interviewing uh, this weekend is he's not in very good health, so I'm not sure, you know, how many more times he'll get to tell the story. And uh, the movie is is very much like a retrospective on not just the Flatwoods monster encounter, but also like the impact it had on the lives of the witnesses, and then also how there's this really bizarre history of unusual happenings around the town of Flatwoods that I don't think people are really aware of. of. Um, it's something we found out during the filming of the movie, actually, that, yeah. that there's this bizarre history around uh, Sutton and Flatwoods, West Virginia, of like UFO sightings and strange creatures in the woods. And, and even it, one of the weirder things about the Flatwoods monster is that the, the term, the Flatwoods monster, came back in like the 70s, only it was being given to this upright walking, hair-covered, Bigfoot type creature. Oh, weird. So that's a, yeah, that's another really bizarre aspect to that story is that later on it became this name that they gave to a a <laughs> Bigfoot. Oh, weird. See, yeah, I never heard of that. See, that's why I mm-hmm. like you. You're digging into this stuff on a deeper level than just uh, you know, here a UFO thing, here some stock footage. Like, have they? <laughs> it's kind of. I mean, it's kind of a business related question in a sense, but like, have. Because when I see the the the, uh, the Chestnut Ridge movie, part of me is just like, why isn't this on TV? Like, has there been any movement, or is this something you're not interested in, or is it just hasn't happened yet? Because, like, if, if, if you could do, like, 13 of these in the season of TV, I would be, like, riveted uh, <laughs> beyond belief. I would love it. But yeah, uh, that's what I'm wondering. Or, or is that something you're not interested in making the transition to just yet? I'm, I'm totally... I'm totally interested in it, and um, you know, if we had if we had the offer, it would be right. it'd be something we'd look at. Um, we we did talk to production companies back when Minerva Monster was being made, actually, because Minerva Monster, for whatever for whatever reason, it got picked up on like a national scale by the news, and it was on Animal Planet was covering it, all kinds of places were covering it. Nice, and um, we started getting uh, attention from from a couple different. Um, production companies in LA and New York, and but but what they wanted to do with Small Town Monsters was not at all what we were doing. You know, they were trying to hmm. create this bizarre like we were going to be in a van driving around and oh, getting Small Town Monsters like we were Scooby Doo and, and the gang. Oh God! And uh, Megan Fox was going to be involved at one time. So what? Like, it, was, it was yeah, it was very strange. And um, as a producer but, uh, or a star of the. <laughs> No, as like a one episode, like the the pilot episode would have involved her and what? us in a in a van. Yeah, no, that that's that so it's real. probably like some hotshot producer in L.A. who like knows Megan Fox and he likes the paranormal kind of, and he's like, yeah. I, I can get her on the show. Don't worry. 
Yeah. Wow, no. weird. She's not doing anything better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, we uh we've we've gone down that road and we've had talks, but um as far as like someone buying broadcast rights, we had to get a distributor on on board to really get, you know, networks to take a look. So hopefully that will happen down the road. I mean, the best thing people can do if they're interested in something like that is just email or yeah, social media, tweet at people, be like, watch the movie, whatever. I mean, our, we're very uh, grassroots and independent. The movies are all completely crowdfunded through Kickstarter. We're launching oh, nice. our next Kickstarter on uh, January 26th, and that'll pay for everything we make during 2018. So that's how we we kind of rely on our fan base to, to even continue doing this from year to year. So. I definitely would love to see them on TV, though. I think I think there's an audience for these movies, and I think they're oh, for sure. I think they're of a, a quality, and they're getting to a quality of you know where you could see them playing on TV. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Well, this Mothman movie should give you some cachet. You should call up uh, yeah, just call up Sci-Fi. And <laughs> yeah. And say, hey, what's going on? Here's my Chestnut Ridge movie. Are you gonna buy it or what? Yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. They, they could. They, I mean, they could easily make the transition to TV, and they're they're tremendous stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like it a lot. And as I said, it's it really you can tell you know and love this stuff and give it a fair treatment. Where before you know we were talking, yeah, you do mention that like it, oh people think it might have been a pelican, but like you don't trot out like Doctor Doctor Sniffin Pants, who's like a <laughs> pelican expert, you know, yeah. and he's like, well, you see. And he explains the whole thing. Like, no one wants to see that. So that's... Well, that that's the most consistent complaint we've gotten what? from, like, from skeptics is that we don't have, like, Joe Nickel, like, talking about why this isn't, you know, why this is an owl. And, and there's this one idiot who has been hitting me on social media for, like, the last year over oh, the God. fact that I, di- that I didn't mention that there was an owl sanctuary next to the... To, to the to the TNT area and and frankly I, I mean what difference does it make if there's an owl sanctuary there's owls all over the TNT area regardless like it could have been a normal it could have been an owl that wasn't at the sanctuary like you know like we at the end of the day when you watch the movie we're not telling you it was an owl or it wasn't an owl or it was a you know a flying humanoid monster we're simply letting the stories of the people that live in Point Pleasant and the witnesses. Uh, come across, and that's it. You know, there's no, there's no real input from us. This is the purest form of documentary storytelling. Yeah. Um, totally informed by my brief tenure as a, <laughs> as a freelance, you know, newspaper reporter. I mean, it's, it's the same way we told stories for the paper. Well, if the Golden Yeti wasn't proof enough, having a crazy, psychotic, lunatic, quote-unquote, fan is mm-hmm. a sure sign you've made it in the paranormal. So, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, they're the dirt worst, folks. Don't be, don't be those people. Um, yeah. Well, so by the mean, way, as long as as long as we're talking about Mothman, I I mm-hmm. believe there is a new Mothman book coming from Lauren uh, in the oh. next like year or so. I don't know if that has been mentioned anywhere else, but and he might kill me just for saying it on yeah, the I show, know. but <laughs> I, I know for a fact that is happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we're doing plugs, then people should check out Jean St. Jean's uh, cryptid figures and artwork. Uh, oh, yeah. She's a huge fan. And I made the joke yeah. on, on Facebook as I said you were going to be on the show, and she was like, finally! She or yeah, Jean is like, Jean um, and I met at a Bigfoot conference, and the first thing he said to oh, me, I, I was like, 
I wa- I've watched Sorry, Gene. Gene, and Gene, Gene said to me, um, uh, so, so what do you think of this mess? And <laughs> as soon as he said that, I, like I was like, oh, yeah, I can connect with this guy. So, like, Gene and I, I think, connect on, a, on that level. And Gene is very, um, very super talented. He's also very supportive of Small Town Monsters and has been. In fact, like, he was one of – he was the first person to tell me they liked Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Um, outside of like my family and the crew, he was the first person to watch uh, Invasion and give me a, a review, and he gave me like a ten paragraph glowing review of the movie. Nice. And um, yeah, and I don't know if you've seen his Mothman statue that he did for the uh, for Creature Replica that was also a part of our Kickstarter, but it is it is amazing. He did this like Mothman resin statue, and it's it's one of the best likenesses of the Mothman I've ever seen. I've seen some of his work, and it's outstanding, so I'm not mm-hmm. surprised. Yeah, he's he's very talented. Yeah. There we go. We got our plugs in now. And someone in the chat room made a point, and it's true. It's like uh, they said sci-fi would, butcher, <laughs> sci-fi would butcher what was done. And I kind of agree in a sense where not necessarily in that way because have, you'd have to cut it up and put some commercials in and stuff. But it's like uh, mm-hmm. I think you're a lot like me where it's like you've created this thing from the ground up, and, and it's like this is your baby. And it's very hard to trust people with, uh, you know, with, I, I don't know. I always kind of say I don't work well with others. I don't play well with yeah. others. It's like, you know, people want to team up on stuff. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I got my baby, and that's kind of what, what my thing is, you know. That's that's actually, that is me. Uh, you just described me. I, I, I really am, am fiercely independent, and it's not like, oh, man, I'm so – cool like indie punk rock it's like i'm terrible i'm terrible about like anyone telling me what to do it's like my biggest fault honestly it's my biggest fault and i think one of the strengths of why we're able to do what we're doing is is because of that fact but it's also like one of those things where i don't know how it would go if if we did get bought up you know by by a major by a major network or something and 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 i do think that's true i think if they had Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, especially, you'd see, you know, 16 minutes of the movie would get chopped out right out of the gate because right. the movie's an hour long. Hour, it's 61 minutes long. They'd chop 16 minutes out of the movie. They, they, you know, it, my buddy Aaron Kaju, who made the the Bridgewater Triangle movie, and yeah, yeah, D- Destination America bought that movie. That, that's a 90 minute movie, and they chopped that thing down to 44 minutes and changed the narrator and and all oh, kinds God. of stuff happened. Oh really? I didn't know they changed the narrator. That's bullshit. That I, that is what I've heard. I haven't actually seen the televised version, but someone had told me they completely changed the narrator. The narrator. I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that word. <laughs> um, well, it's good. It, don't do a Bridgewater Triangle movie because they've done too many of those already now, and it's it's. Uh, I, oh yeah. I, I'm burned out on Bridgewater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and I'm a fan of I'm a fan of Aaron's movie actually exactly. the Big Triangle movie yeah. a lot. So I'm a, was, and Aaron Aaron was like one of the first filmmakers I ever spoke to. Like other you know like you, you're I, I didn't start out as a filmmaker. I got into this totally by happenstance, and he was one of the first like guys who had made an established movie. Yeah. Who actually took the time to to take a phone call from me and try to help me through some. Uh, editing difficulties during the making of Minerva Monster, so I owe that dude a great debt. Yeah, that's a great movie. That's a fantastic movie. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give him that because I've seen. Uh, I, I, 
I should I should rephrase what I said earlier because in a sense it's like now that I think about it that's the only Bernard Drangle documentary I've seen and it's like the best. There's no other. How could you top that? Because there's so many people in it. Right. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. that's kind of what I was thinking. It's like you can't really do a different angle on it because he covered every <laughs> like every yep. angle you can think of in the movie, and it's like I don't know what you could explore differently in, with that topic. You know. Yeah. And I think Invasion is as close to that as I'll ever get, like that kind of story as I'll get. Well, it was eerily similar to the Bridgewater Triangle. I, I came out of the came out of I, I came out of the theater. I finished watching the, the movie <laughs> and, and was like, um, I was like, I was like, Jesus, that's I didn't realize that was. I, I think I mentioned it earlier that it was like a window zone, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. But yeah, apparently it is. Yeah, that's what Lauren did a whole post about um, the window area and then like the name game with Fayette, the Fayette name and all that kind of stuff today um, on his uh, copycat. What? I forget the name of the Twilight website, language. But, That's an awesome yeah. uh, endeavor that he has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was pretty cool to read him doing, you know, going that in depth on our little movie. Cause you could see that it, 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 it kind of had gotten the, the wheels in Lauren's head. Mm turning which in itself is an accomplishment because you know like you feel like you've you've made the one of the the world's foremost yeah yes. uh, crypt, cryptid writers actually you know pause and think a little bit about your little project yeah you got the attention cool of thing. the master yeah 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 i do that yeah. a lot with him <laughs> i'll send him emails or something like have you been looking at zoos lately something's going on with zoos lauren and then he'll send me back like three news stories where he's like, "Here's what I've dug up." I'm just like, "Holy shit, <laughs> something weird's going on." Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's always cool when you get his attention. Somebody in the chat room said, "Is he going to have Linda Godfrey on the Bray Road movie?" I assume she's kind of like the Stan Gordon of the Bray series. Or she's part of she's it. definitely she's going to be involved. And I'm actually in the process of finishing up uh, Beast of Bray her Beast of Bray Road book right now, which I I don't know why it took me so long to get to this book because it it has quickly become probably one of my top 10 favorite cryptozoology paranormal books I think that I've ever read I I absolutely love her take on it and her sense of humor is hilarious and she's got this uh, slightly subversive kind of almost skeptical viewpoint on it that comes through that I really loved um and and yeah she's she's got to be involved in the movie i told i said someone had posted the same thing on on facebook and said uh you'd better have linda godfrey involved and she had she had actually commented and said yes i'm going to be a part of it and i said we wouldn't have made it without her and that is yeah you really can't like yeah, yeah it's it's 100 percent true there's some of these people are so tied to the story that they are as important in a way as the original witnesses and absolutely she's, yeah she's one of those characters, you know, and, and it's like Stan with the chestnut Ridge. I mean, you have to have them involved or it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was, uh, fantastic to meet at the, uh, at the international cryptozoology conference in Portland. She was just, a, she was a treat, you know, she was just mm-hmm. somebody who I was just uh, blown away by. She was awesome. She was really cool. Yeah, and she signed, she signed my beast of Bray road paperback and drew this little, uh, beast of Bray road werewolf. Uh, cartoon character inside, which was pretty awesome. Nice, yeah, because she was a cartoonist first. Uh, and uh-huh. the interesting, I think I said this to somebody, I don't know if I said it on the show or not, but with her, it's interesting, like, that those 
that story had kind of been percolating around for a while. And like you say, how these people are linked to these stories. If she hadn't picked up on that, if she hadn't run with that story, uh, you know, it could have, it could still be sitting there. <laughs> you know, these these things. Uh, you know, it could have lingered for another ten years or something before somebody picked it up, or or never or something. Or know? never, yeah. That that's the danger in 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 these stories not being kind of documented in, by someone like her is that, um, you know, in the case of most of these communities where these things happen, unless someone like her happens to get on board at some point, the, the stories will just disappear. Yeah. Um, you know, cause, cause witnesses die and, and stories fade away. Um, and especially when it's something like a story about a, a werewolf, you know, roaming, roaming the countryside, that is not exactly embraced by a, a rural community. You know, the local historical society doesn't go out and try to capture, you know, any, any documentation on that to, to help preserve that story. That'll, that'll completely disappear. That's, it's, it's interesting because that's actually what had happened in the case of the Minerva Monster story. When we, when we showed up in Minerva to make the Minerva Monster movie, we were shocked. Like the most shocking thing to me was that no one we talked to remembered that taking place. There, it was like one in a hundred people you talked to remembered the Minerva monster story. And that, that stretched out to like older people, younger people, especially, but even some of the older people had completely forgot it had ever happened. And, and then, you know, in, in the case of the Minerva monster, that story was all over the local news. It was on national news. It was on international news. There were, there were news crews that came to Minerva from Germany and Japan, but that story somehow had been entirely forgotten by the bulk of the people in Minerva until, until the Minerva monster movie came out. And then all of a sudden you can't, I can't walk into a business in Minerva without like five people coming up trying to tell me about their Minerva (laughs) monster story now. But, you know, I mean, Enlighten me because I haven't seen the movie yet, and I'm. This is a story that is obscure to me. So what is? Mm-hmm. I assume this is some kind of like Bigfoot-like creature, but then yeah. again, it's it, when it comes to Seth Breedlove, it's never, it's never what you think. It's always something, you know. It's all you're going to get more layers to the story. So what, what, what is this Minerva monster thing? It's it's the the story is probably my favorite Bigfoot story. Um, it's it involves this family that lived outside of the town of Minerva, Ohio, right off the Lincoln Highway, who had been kind of harassed by this creature uh, that would appear on the hill behind their house frequently. It seemed to have an attraction. And by attraction, I don't mean like it wanted to get it on with her, yeah. but it was it, it seemed to have some sort of attraction to the mother of the family. You know my and audience would, well. Yeah, I, I just thought I needed to clarify in case people started wondering. Um, so the the creature seemed to really pay a lot of attention to the mom, and any time the mom was outside, it would show up. Um, it it basically the the story kind of reached its culmination when when something or someone had torn one of the Caton's dogs. It was a massive German shepherd um, from its leash and snapped its neck. Jesus. And um, they called the police the next night because the creature came up on their house again during a family get together. And uh, it actually walked right up to the window of the house. And the mother actually held a gun to the window, like she was going to shoot it through the window. And the thing didn't do anything. It, it, stared at her and then after a couple of minutes it turned around and walked back up the hill but they called the police 
and the local police came out to investigate, and um, they couldn't find anything, but they did smell an odd smell that smelled like rotten eggs or ammonia. And um, the the story got picked up by the AP Wire and by the Akron Beacon Journal, and it became this like global sensation. It's, but, uh, close by, I mean, close close to Minerva, it was like the story at the time. So what ended up happening was like all these drunken hunters descended on Minerva. Um, People were going up, parking along the Lincoln Highway and going up into the woods behind the Caton's house and like trying to hunt a Bigfoot. And um, it got so bad. My favorite aspect of the story is that there were so many hunters parking along the Lincoln Highway that they actually had to shut the road down. They actually had to shut the highway down so the car couldn't get through. Um, So, like, anyway, the story kind of – it it broke over the course of that year, and and there were multiple encounters with the creature. And um, if you talk to the Catons today, they say they're still seeing it, you know, in the woods behind their house. And, of course, it doesn't – like you said, it doesn't simply revolve around this – Bigfoot sighting. There's lots of other strange activity that was taking place in 1978 when this was going on. The Catons claimed that there were like disappearing caves behind their house and that they saw um, Native American women on horseback that would disappear and they heard odd chanting um, from, that seemed to come from the ground. And uh, they saw uh, one of the really strange aspects of the case is that there were UFOs being seen in the area at the time, naturally. And um, one of the one of the really my favorite part of the story actually is that the police deputy who investigated the case, um, James Shannon, he said he only ever investigated two strange. Uh, they're called unusual, unusual. Oh shoot, what are they called? There's there's actually like a police terminology for this, and I can't remember. I think it's just oh, it's unusual incident report. Yeah. Um, there's actually a separate report like they fill out, and and he only ever investigated two of these in like 50 years on the police force, and one of them was the Minerva monster sighting, and the second one was two weeks later when a UFO landed in a field, and when he got to the location, it was directly across the street from the Caton's house. Um, oh my God. So these people had called in saying that that a a flying saucer had landed in the field behind their house. So there was there's a lot of weird stuff going on at that time. Of course, I I personally chalk up some of this to to like hysteria. I do think the Catons, you know, were seeing something, um, but some of it because it, it got it got pretty insane around Minerva during that time. The Catons yeah. would like the people would drive up their driveway late at night and scream Bigfoot at them and throw oh, eggs at the house. And what? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, like, the Howie Caton, the, the youngest son at the time, told me that that uh, the entire incident, the entire Bigfoot thing, made his final year of, of high school an absolute hell for him. I can imagine, yeah. So Jeez. that story that story took place too only about uh, twenty about twenty minutes from where I grew up because I grew up in this tiny town called Bolivar, Ohio, and uh, that that story was kind of always something I was aware of at least vaguely, especially as a kid. There were you know kids would say don't go out in the woods or the Minerva monster will get you and stuff like that. So you know I wonder in a sense I was going to ask you about. Uh, you know, uh, we, I lamented this on the show with Steve Berg a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and I think with Ryan Collier, there's not a really a lot of um, like modern events. You know, they're very hard to like find, 
And part of me wonders, uh, I was thinking this earlier, and then what you said about the, the harassment that uh, this kid had to face, it only kind of solidified the idea in a sense, where it makes you wonder now if it's funny, and they say, oh, you just saw your cell phones, and don't take any pictures of UFOs, and all that stuff. And it's like, I wonder if the technology actually is hurting the paranormal in a way where it's like, if if you had Bigfoot scratching on your door, uh, and you were legit and not a lunatic who wants attention, you might not tell anybody. Because you might be all, like, you're going to become internet famous, and no one wants to be that unless you're, like, a crazy person. Sure, yeah. I I, I don't know, and I don't have an answer for that, because that is no, something I wonder. No, it's just me wonder. going off yeah, the no. mouth, but, <laughs> but, but <laughs> like, it's speculate with it's, me. It's, yeah, see, that's a that's a, it's it's like one of those things I don't quite understand because we do have cases like this still happening, like the phantom clown thing that happened last year. Like that really reminds me of like a a Bigfoot flap or something. You know, oh like yeah, same, for sure, yeah. It, it's got all the the same characteristics, but at the same time, you're right. Like we don't have those the flaps that kind of broke out or, or maybe the other thing is maybe we do, but they're just not reported. That's what I in, mean. Yeah. In the papers in the same way that they were back then. Um, but it does seem like all the great, like the best stories, my favorite, you know, the, the ones we really want to turn into films are all from like the mid sixties to like the late seventies. That seems to be like the golden age of like really great sighting stories. Um, yeah, and then occasionally, so, yeah. occasionally you get like the Bray Road story takes place. The bulk of that is in the '90s, but I do wonder like why. Yeah, Bray Road's the only like really quote unquote modern right. phenomenon you've seen. In re- I've seen in recent years. Yeah, that at least that that would be on that same level. Like there was the there was the thing last year. Um, what was it? Bessie? Is that the name of the... Oh, Wessie, the snake? Wessie, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of had the same kind of vibe to me. Um, but Yeah, but that's like a snake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, it's like, just not as cool, yeah. Right, right. It's not a mystery animal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see like, yeah, exactly, like a flap of like, all of a sudden people think... Because Lauren introduced me to a really interesting idea when he was on the show earlier this year that like maybe... These cre- and I never thought of it, like, but it makes sense. Maybe these creatures just travel. They're on a constant travel um, migration, you know, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like they may cross through Chestnut Ridge at a certain time of year, and, mm-hmm. you know, if we could figure that out, maybe we'd be able to, to get to the bottom of it. But they seem to be – they don't seem to be, like, in one particular place for too long. Right. No, I totally, I totally agree. And that especially reminds me of like in Whitehall, you know, we made the, the Beast of Whitehall movie. The, the thing that I consistently noticed with that story was like sighting reports there seemed to go in, in not in flaps, but in, in bunches. Like all of a sudden you get a bunch of, of sightings and then they die off for a year and then they come back. And it always seems to be around the same time of year. And, right. and, dependent on where they're taking place. And those, those Abair road sightings that we got into in, in our film were over the course of only one week. It was like one week of all these sightings taking place of this, this Bigfoot like creature. Um, 
And, of course, the weird thing about that story is it was synonymous with this massive UFO wave taking place. Right. Um, but, the, you know, the, 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 what cracks me up is, like, I've talked to UFO or, or Bigfoot researchers in that area in upstate New York who totally believe that Bigfoot is some sort of, like, alien that's being dropped off by a UFO or whatever. But that that seems to make very little sense because the same person that was telling me this was also telling me how they could track the – the migration patterns. And I was like, well, why do they need to migrate if a UFO is like dropping right. them off? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I've got, I don't, I'm going off on tangents now on my no, own. No, but no, like, this has been all of America, baby. <laughs> but well, yeah, it like, just, yeah, cause it's true in a sense where, yeah, I mean, I, the, the, the whole, the whole UFO connection is, is always what also trips me up with Bigfoot. Cause I read Stan Gordon's book, too, and it blew my mind because at that point I was like, there has to be some connection here. Even if it's, even if it's quote-unquote prosaic, where it turns out the aliens are as fascinated by Bigfoot as we are. Mm-hmm. And so they, because they're infinitely intelligent, they happen to know Bigfoot's crossing through Chestnut Ridge at this time of year. And then they're just like hovering over them like, all right, let's try, see if we can figure out what this Bigfoot thing is. You know, I mean, who knows? But there seems to be some connection between the two phenomena that, uh, in a sense, is undeniable. And it sled me, in a way, to the idea that I think a lot of uh, people who were uh, in the cryptozoology field are confronted with this question. Well, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? It's like, it could be both of these things. It could be like a flesh and blood animal and, uh, you know... Any, any, a myriad of different sort of like paranormal phenomena in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see. I fall firmly in the, the flesh and blood like undiscovered primate camp, mm-hmm. and and as as it's funny because like things like invasion on Chestnut Ridge really take me outside of my comfort zone because right. like I'm get, I'm getting into areas that I don't have answers for, and then at the same time I'm like, man, if you look at the number of Bigfoot reports that Stan has cataloged in, in his, you know, since 1959, by the way, that he got into all of this. Oh, wow. Um, the, the number of sighting reports, Bigfoot, the, the, the actual quantity of those reports that involve a UFO is like nothing. I mean, right, it's, right, it's right. a, it's a minuscule, it's like 2% it's or an, something yeah, crazy. It's, a, it's an outlier. <laughs> But those are the ones that stand out too, because it's like it does. And, and the funny thing to me is, I'm saying that you know, like it's it's so uncommon. But at the same time, I've made we made three three Bigfoot movies back to back to back, and then we made Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, and obviously Invasion on Chestnut Ridge has a Bigfoot UFO connection. But of those first three, with Minerva and Whitehall and Boggy Creek, only Boggy Creek didn't have some sort of UFO connection. There was no UFO right, connection. Right, 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 exactly. See, I thought you had more of a more of an inclination toward the UFO connection then. No, I'm 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 very much like in the in the boring old flesh and blood uh Bigfoot camp, but I'm I'm definitely I love this side of the subject. I'm not scared I'm not scared of it. I said I said invasion took me out of my comfort zone. I what I mean by that is it just puts me in a place where I'm like questioning everything right, right. because it's it's very it, it, it is it isn't terribly common but it does seem like a lot of the major flaps that i've investigated for whatever reason do have that connection and and even if they don't have that connection directly there's some like it, like with the momo flap 
the Missouri Monster Flat. There's there were there were UFO sightings going on all over that area around the same time right. as the the Missouri Monster sightings. So like, you know, like even when there's not a direct connection between the two, there still seems to be this this bizarre sort of like tenuous connection between the two. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I guess somebody asked you about this at the Q&A after the movie uh, in Portland, but I'm a uh, diehard cigarette smoker, so I had to, <laughs> diehard, that's the best way to put it. Uh, to, so I had to leave after the movie to quickly feed my horrible addiction, and mm. I missed the question, but I'm interested in your take on this, because uh, somebody asked you what you think of this Chicago Mothman flap. I mean, yeah. here we go. That that is allegedly happening right now. I mean, I assume mm-hmm. that the reports are accurate. I have no idea. I haven't really dug into it. I, I, ironically, I'm sounding hypocritical, but it's like we say there are these modern events, but at the same time, you kind of have to let some time pass before you can really know what what separate the wheat from the chaff in a sense. So, right. Uh, I think if in a year or two we may have a better perspective on what the hell's going on with these Mothman thing going in Chicago. Uh, so I guess what's your what's your thought on that? And also, having done the Mothman movie, there's a funny thing that I noticed. Um, not to not to diminish what's going on in Chicago, but I think Mothman has become like the next Chupacabra, where it's mm-hmm. like any weird flying thing becomes Mothman. Yeah. So we don't. Yeah. It's like we're calling it the Chicago Mothman, but it's like it, it, it probably has nothing to do with whatever happened in West Virginia. Well, you know? also, also to add to that, like I think I do not think there is any other um, uh, whatever you want to call it, folktale or or urban legend or cryptid, what, however you want to catalog the Mothman. I don't think there's any other creature that has the same level of pop culture prominence and the rabid uh, cult-like fan base that follows Mothman. And, and that's something I found out just from making our Mothman movie. There is, right. there is a rabid fan base out there that will follow anything Mothman does. And just in the last week, there was like this BuzzFeed article about how Mothman's a queer icon, and there's, there's, <laughs> it's just like every week I see something new, you know, in the yeah. media of, of relating to Mothman. But yeah, the 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 Chicago sightings, uh, I don't know what to make of them. Lon Strickler has done a great job of cataloging them. Yeah, and, he's collected like all these amazing stories. Yeah, yeah, and making the map and all that kind of stuff, and he's done a he's done a really good job of tracking all of that. I can tell you that. Um, Brandon, who's who produced the first three movies we made and does all the music for our movies, he actually went to Chicago um, like two months ago, kind of at the height of all those sightings, and went directly to the location of two of the sightings. And his personal opinion was that his opinion, and this is his opinion, obviously not mine, I wasn't there. His opinion was more than likely the stories were made up because of the fact that where these happened the time of day when they happened, et cetera, et cetera, there was no way someone didn't get a photo of what was going on because the, the sightings, these sightings took place in one of the busiest sections of Chicago during the middle of the day, uh, skyscrapers all over the place, people everywhere. And he did not personally believe that, that those sightings took place. Or if they did, his other theory was that it might've been kites or like, 
those winged winged suits, you know, that people can yeah. wear. Uh, so his thing, that's, that's something I've heard. I think even Lauren Coleman said something about the kites um, when I was asked at the, because uh, someone asked us about that. I don't know if you got to see, but Lauren actually moderated the Small Town Monsters panel that I did at CryptidCon in Kentucky, and uh, it was really cool. Cause the no, panel I wasn't was, in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to ch- check it out, though, online. I oh, I didn't know it was online. the entire yeah. thing. Yeah, I posted the whole thing on Small Town Monsters Facebook page. Did but you he, see me in Kentucky? Because I was not there. I don't know who you talked to. <laughs> Could you look in your mirror, uh, your magic mirror, and check me out? <laughs> but no, um, Lauren moderated the panel, and it was um, Stan Gordon, myself, and Lyle Blackburn. And then uh, with with Lauren moderating, he actually talked a little bit about the, the Chicago sightings and chalked it up to uh, kites, which I thought was interesting. So, yeah, that is I, interesting, I, yeah. At the same time, there's something going on there. You know, I can't tell if it's if it's a modern mythology being born, if we're watching the the birth of a folktale or if it's gen, you know, if it's genuine, uh if the if this is really a flap taking place and multiple people are seeing it or if it's just people wanting to be involved. Um I did find it intriguing that some of the witnesses, at least a couple of the witnesses, were police officers or said to be police officers. Yeah, I mean, Lon's done a great job collecting the cases, but at the same time, it's like he's almost reached a critical mass. It's like, what point do you, what can you do with this story? You know you know what I mean? It's like, I don't quite right. know what to make of it, because unless some bridge <laughs> collapses, like, right. we don't, we don't, is this going somewhere? I guess that's the question, you know what I mean? It's like, you listen to these yeah. stories, and it's like, all right, where is this, there's an ominousness to it, where you think, all right, this could be going to something bad, but then at the same time, you're like, I'm not sure if this is, it's like watching a bad TV show. It's like, am I, is there a payoff to this, or, or right. are they just going to stop, you know? Right. Yep. And, and I, again, like, I, I think we have to take anything uh, with a grain of salt, you know, when it comes to these sighting reports due to the fact that, that the Mothman is everywhere in, in pop culture right now, including our movie, obviously. When, when, those, when, when the Mothman flap in Chicago kicked off, um, we were accused in, doing in multiple it. locations. Yeah, it, this wasn't – there was actually a Mysterious Universe article written by Paul Seaburn that mentioned that. But he was like joking. There, there was like a, you know, yeah. a tongue-in-cheek – manner that he approached that but there were there were uh posts online including on our facebook page wall where people were like hey you know you guys should stop hoaxing the the sightings in chicago to promote your movie i'm like man i'm first of all i'm nowhere near that intelligent when it comes to promotion and then second of all i don't have the money to like station someone in chicago and you know pull all this off and it would be pretty lousy promotion for the movie anyway considering we haven't been mentioned in connection with it once in major media. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, like I said earlier, congratulations, dude. You've acquired, uh, you know, crazed, uh, crazed critics. Yeah. They're, they're all, they're, they come out of the woodwork, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when you're involved in, in this particular subject matter. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it's unfortunate in a sense, but it's like we're, we, we, we exist on the fringe here. So, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we, and so we interact with the denizens of the fringe mm-hmm. and, uh, sometimes it's they're awesome, all great bad. people. No, most yeah, of the, that's, time, that's they're, the, most of the like, time they're awesome, great people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the highlight of doing this 
uh, has been the way the the audience, the the community, the small town monsters people, you know, our supporters will rally around each Kickstarter, and every year the number oh, of people yeah, the, sure. the back goes up. I mean, it's it's crazy to watch because I think people are understanding with each new project. They're like, okay, man, I can I can actually be a part of helping to put this out, you know, and they, they get their name in the credits and all that kind of stuff. And cause without, without that, there is no small town monsters, especially early on there, there was no way to do this, you know, out of pocket. There just, there right, just right. wasn't, there, there wouldn't have been a way to make Boggy Creek monster without the support of, you know, the people that watch our movies. So. Well, people love your stuff, man. And I'm now I'm one of them. Cause uh, I'm blown away by what you're doing. So I hope you do. I, I was wondering as we were doing this interview, you're like, you're like in your late 30s. We're gonna have to consult with Laura on this. Is it possible? Let's say you stick with this for like three or four more decades, and you're like an old man, an old crotchety man, and like in like 20, 2040, can you get a second Golden Yeti, or are you out of contention now? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Could you I, be the first two-time winner? I kind of feel like I I could potentially just. I don't know. Claim that I'm I'm a lifetime. Maybe maybe I can get some sort of lifetime award. So like every year, I could be like they can give it to someone else, but they have to also put an addendum that Seth is also the Golden Yeti. Well, you're so, like on the thing, like the Stanley Cup. You get they yeah. like carve your name on there. Yeah, I, th- I feel like that's that should definitely happen. Um, here's the funny thing too about the Golden Yeti, aside from the fact that I got it, is that um, I've never I've never in my life won like some sort of trophy that was that, that was like the first the first trophy i've been given and of course bigfoot was on it which is perfectly fitting and it looked amazing so yeah i remember you totally. asked me half facetiously were you like do i have to defend this now like yeah. <laughs> like what well even if you win too i'm going to give a shout out to another guy from the conference in portland i think thomas morgan the kid from the uh the youth panel he'll trump yeah. us all he'll, he's going to end up with like three or four golden yetis somehow but the time Thomas was, was he was he was Thomas, amazing. The highlight for me of that panel was when he introduced himself at the beginning and said, "Hi, I'm nervous." <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and you know, I saw Thomas the next weekend in in Kentucky. So yeah, I, got I the, saw that. I was like, "Holy yeah. shit, dude! You're like you're like traveling. You're like doing the circuit, Thomas. Like, what are you doing?" Yeah. yeah, I got to hang out with him the next weekend, uh, like halfway across the country. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he is he is super sharp, and if he sticks with this cryptozoology stuff, I think he's going to be like a force to be reckoned with. Because I just he's like 13 years old, folks, and I'm like sitting there having like in depth conversation with him about the squonk and the puckwudgie and uh, and whatever like the Australian equivalent of the puckwudgie is. You know, he was just busting out all these names and stuff, and he's like, "What are you really referencing?" And I'm just like, "Oh God." <laughs> There's a reason why they didn't invite me on the youth panel. I'm old. See, that's that's something too that that um, not to be offensive, but that nerdy level of like knowledge relating to these stories. That's where Mark Matsky really came into play with the Invasion on Chestnut Ridge because like Mark Mark's the one that narrated the movie and also wrote the narration, co-wrote the narration, and Mark is like a, a Chestnut Ridge Stan Gordon acolyte going way back. Nice, and nice. he brought that like encyclopedic knowledge of all those cases and everything to that story, which is why I think the he he alleviated a lot of stress 
from me, I think, with that particular project, because he was he he knows his Chestnut Ridge lore better than anyone, and he had such a like unique approach. That thing about human curiosity that really is what the movie's about. When it's all over, that's that's the main thing that I take away from that movie is like all these people are so drawn to investigate these mysteries that they will probably never, more than likely they'll never have the answers to. In fact, they'll probably leave this earth with more questions um, than they do, than, than they'll have answers, you know, because the, the Ridge seems to just keep adding more and more layers of, of mystery. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, there was a part of me, uh, watching the movie and then talking tonight, especially when I heard that thing about the Russians, it's like, there's a part of me that worries in a sense like that in a couple decades, again, when we're, when we're like old men and the people are long gone from the movie, they're going to be like, yeah, we just dumped a ton of radioactive waste in Chestnut Ridge and that we were really, we were really worried about what was going to happen and all this weird yeah. stuff. So, you know, part of me also wonders sometimes if it's like these things happen, happen through like, uh, you know, and happenstance, bad things happen because the government did something shady in a sense. You know what right, I mean? It's like right. very like no, weird. that's yeah, that that definitely is is something I've wondered with that particular case as well because of the the fact that the government does seem to have some shady involvement in in the Chestnut Ridge and investigating right. those cases or following up on those cases. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's like some dude's like, I told you we shouldn't have dumped all that in Chestnut Ridge, man. Like they're seeing mm-hmm. Bigfoot and UFO now. You know, so who knows? Now I got two last questions for you, man, because I know you got uh, you got family at home and stuff, and you got to deal with that. First one, what was like? Uh, you just got back from Montana. You've been on a whirlwind. I made a joke about it in the preview. Whirlwind uh, trip across the country here, around the uh, United States, being lavished with awards and love. Uh, you know, first you were in Portland, then you went to the Mothman, uh, Kentucky, then you went mm-hmm. to. Then you went to Point Pleasant, and then you were up in Montana. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking about it with Steve Berg last week, where it was like uh, a couple weeks ago, where I was like, at times I'm like, oh, I wish I could be traveling all over the, <laughs> the country doing this stuff. But then at the same mm-hmm. time, it's like, that's what drives rock stars like over the edge, that you're just seeing like hotels every weekend and, and yeah. that kind of thing. So, I mean, I guess you've experienced it uh, over the last month. Like, what's it like being a paranormal rock star? And, and and hitting and doing the circuit, doing doing the uh, doing the conference circuit. I mean, I mean, like we don't do the the thing is we've we've actually cut way back on like the amount of events we do now, but for some reason all these events fell within like this five week span of time, and then they'll continue somewhat into October because of the fact that we have a new movie coming out and we do screenings, right. but like it's it was definitely it got to the point last um well i guess it was just yesterday i finally was like man i just feel sick like i, I you know like i flew all day on monday right. uh on the way back from montana and you get in and i i feel like i barely saw my son this month and he's only like 5 months old and it it definitely was a little a little more travel than i would like and that's saying something cuz like i've been told i have the gypsy soul like I, I, I like to travel. I grew up in, you know, like sleeping in hotel rooms because my parents owned a bookstore and we did book shows for 
half the year and and we're constantly on the road. So like, I feel, I've always said, I feel as, as at home in a hotel bed as I do in my own. Um, but I definitely like being away from family as much as I was this month was crazy. But at the same time, like I had an absolute blast at every single event I did, which is crazy. But right, like right. we really in Portland, I had a ball. I got to meet you and, and hang out with Lauren and meet Linda Godfrey and, you know, like the, I got the Golden Yeti Award, and and we had a really great event there, and and then we got to Cryptid Con in Kentucky was was amazing. I yeah, really, it sounded awesome. I wish I'd uh, I wish I'd gone I, down there. Uh, you know what was like surprising about it, and something <laughs> that I think people need to be aware of, like when it comes around again next year, is you're basically spent like the tickets like twenty bucks or twenty five bucks oh, or wow. something. So it, it might seem like okay, well, am I spending this to get into a con? But, I mean, CryptidCon, while it's definitely like a con, at the same time, it's very much like a conference because there's, like, all these guys speaking throughout the day. And, right, right. You know, we got, I got to do that panel with the guys. and it, To me, it seems like a very cool opportunity to spend uh, time with some really cool people. No, and, it sounded and, cool. It looked really cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I'm highly recommending that. Uh, the Point Pleasant was insane, man. I've never... It was three days, three of the craziest days of my How life. Packed Definitely, was the town? it was it was packed. I don't know what the exact number is, but it was. I don't think it was as. It definitely wasn't as congested as last year. It's like the they, raw. It sounds. It sounds like it's becoming like the Roswell of like crypto yeah, zoology, for yeah. lack of a better field. I think it is, and the crazy thing for us was like we did we did the what we were calling the official premiere of the Mothman of Point Pleasant at the State Theater on Friday night. But I saw and it we, the week and, before. <laughs> yeah, I know. See, that's that's the thing. Like it was it was technically the the it wasn't, but technically it was the Point it was. Pleasant premiere. It was yeah. So so anyway, we packed. There were like three hundred plus people that came into that theater to watch. It was it was standing room only. People were standing along the back of the room. And the the Q and A was great, and the response to the movie was fantastic, and and it's it just started the entire weekend off on like exactly the right foot, and yeah. um, we had a ball at that, and then the Big Sky Bigfoot Conference, which is one of only like two Bigfoot conferences I'm doing this year, um, in Montana I did because the the lady that puts it on Sarah Letterly she. She's super cool, and she's someone who I communicated with through email back when I used to do my Sasswhat podcast. And um, so I wanted to do it just because I wanted to meet her. But I got to hang out with Bob Gimlin and oh, wow. you know nice. Jeff Meldrum and some of these people, and oh, that nice. was that was pretty cool. So it was a it was a really cool event, and I'd never been to Montana before. So if if nothing yeah, else, that alone, yeah. yeah, that alone made it worthwhile. It was gorgeous there. So it was it was crazy, and then. We still we're not done. We've got New York. We're going to the Chautauqua Bigfoot Expo in a couple of weeks, and then the week after that, um, October twenty first, uh, Invasion premieres has its official premiere at uh, Creature Weekend in Salt Fork State Park. So well, it's yeah, it's, it's a, crazy. I mean, I I, uh, I my job is to like monitor the paranormal news, and it's like there's all there's at least like. Two Bigfoot conferences going on like every weekend it seems like all over yeah. the country. It's really it's really remarkable. It's like wow, yeah. this is this is so much bigger than UFOs nowadays, man. It's really yeah, and amazing. Ninety percent of them I avoid, but there's there's a few who I you know like I'll I'll make a special effort to to, to be involved because it's just some of them can be really cool. It's just a lot of the times the same people talking over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and, you know. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, 
you know, I'm the paranormal curmudgeon, so I, <laughs> I didn't even, I, although I joked with uh, Robert Schneck, it's like, next time, my only, my only, like, suggestion to Lauren next year would be, like, name tags for, like, the people, <laughs> for some yeah. people, you know, it's like, because you and I, if I hadn't been talking to Thomas Morgan, ironically enough, and, and telling him to, to follow me on Twitter, uh, we never would have connected, because I, because you had no idea who I was, and I was just discovering your stuff. So I was like, "Oh wow, this you know this this guy's yeah. doing some amazing stuff. He, he only he's the golden yeti." So, so I gotta I gotta educate myself, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, now we can go a little bit over the thing, but I'm sure uh, I assume it won't take too long. But my final question, just to just to really break the fourth wall in a way, uh, you mentioned your 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 uh, your child earlier. Congratulations, man. You know, what's it like being a dad? What's it what's it like uh, you know, having having that change in your life? Oh, it's 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 uh it's crazy. He's you know what's weird is like with the year I'm having and and being away from home, it's actually made it that much more special I think cuz I come home and he's there and he's changed every especially this month, yeah, you yeah. know, like I'm gone so much. He it's like every time I'm I come back, he's changed a little bit more, right, um, right. but, but he's so amazing. And he's like, he's always smiling and laughing. And he's like, you know, it's, it's the best, I guess it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, obviously everyone says that and it's so sappy, but it really like, it's, it, it's definitely the, the highlight of my, my life so far as, is this kid. He's, uh, and he can poop like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he's just, <laughs> It's just, yeah, yeah. Really well, my my, my best friend just had a he just had a baby with his wife, and uh, like a year ago, uh, his daughter mm-hmm. just turned one this year, and it's like I've kind of uh, vicariously lived through that because you know I was at the house the day they brought her home, and I've been there, and it is like I, every time I come over, I'm just like, what is she doing now? She, oh my god, she's changed so much. This is like amazing to watch. It gives me yeah. it gives me uh, parent envy. Where I'm like, I gotta yeah. have a fucking kid. Jesus, <laughs> this is awesome. I want, <laughs> yeah. I want one. Jeez. He ate, he ate, uh, he ate mashed potatoes last night for the first time. So like that was his first real. Yeah, like, that's the yeah. Food. Everything's a, so that was kind of funny. Everything's all first and stuff. It's really like yeah. It's really really cool and uh, like yep. I said, it makes me envious. So congratulations to you, sir, and uh, and congratulations on the Golden Yeti for 2017. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the success of this film, uh, the Mothman movie, and I hope that, in a way, I think it's cool that you kind of, like, you pivoted from the Mothman movie, but the Mothman movie exploded because now people will see this new movie and be like, holy shit, this guy's, like, prolific, man. He covers all kinds of stuff. So it's good that, like, your next movie wasn't, like, the Bigfoot of Tallahassee or whatever. So yeah. I think... Uh, I wish you the best of luck, man. I really, really, really love the uh, love both movies. And and having just seen the Chestnut Ridge one, I was completely blown away by it. And I hope folks awesome. pick it up. October twentieth at Small Town Monsters, they'll put you in touch with all the ways to get it. Yep. All right, man. Go uh, go change some diapers. All right. I I will do that. All right, Seth. I can't thank you enough for doing the show. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross in the uh, not too distant future. I hope so, man. And and again, I really appreciate everything you've done and and doing the show all these years and all that. It's it's it takes a ton of work, and uh, a lot of people, myself included, were affected by it in a positive way. 
No, thanks, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And uh, like I said earlier, I'm glad we had, you know, some pang of an influence on on the direction of Small Town Monsters because I'll I'll take some pride in that uh, for a long, long time. So thank you, and have a great night. You too. All right, folks. There you go. That was Seth Breedlove, Small Town Monsters. I'm telling you, folks, check out this movie. It's coming out in about three weeks uh, at smalltownmonsters.com. As you say, you can get it on iTunes and a whole bunch of other platforms. It is outstanding. I, I can't put it over enough. Um, I see a lot of these shows and documentaries, and I'm always like, oh, God. But this one was – it blew my mind by how much stuff it had in it and the the educated look at it. You know, you knew you knew from watching it that Seth had done his homework on these stories and these cases and stuff, and it didn't add a whole bunch of superfluous garbage that you often see in these shows. Uh, and on that note, I can't tell you who's going to be on next week because I don't have a guest scheduled yet, but I've got a list of about three or four people. I think we'll be returning to the uh, the guests who've been on in the past, but maybe just done one or two shows. And then we'll ease back in to the uh, hardcore long-time guests, the family of BOA Audio, if you will, uh, as we round out the show. And uh, on that note, stay tuned to Banal of America on Facebook and BOA. I, I, I should do some in-house notes in a sense where you got to just check the website on Tuesdays if we're going to have a show. And that'll tell you uh, what time. Obviously, we're trying to do it at 9 p.m. We've done it pretty much at 9 p.m. this whole time. So Tuesdays at 9. But just go to the website on Tuesday and find out. Because sometimes it takes us that long to post the show uh, schedule. And that'll tell you who's going to be on the show. And on that note, we'll we'll end the in-house notes. I'll stop rambling. And uh, thank you all for listening. Talk to you next week. This is Tim and all. Signing off.